So, you know what's rough about live shows? The fact that they're live. Well, that too. But I was thinking about the escalation factor. The escalation factor. Right. Like, last year we did Strife for the cold open, and now we have to top it or it'll be anticlimactic. Miles, we're not going to top Strife. We could. Strife, Miles. We totally could. Wait. No, no, no. No. I know what you're thinking, and no. We could explain... Don't do it, man. We do not go there. Seriously. Onslaught. Absolutely not. No, but dude, Onslaught is perfect. I mean, if there's anything in continuity more confusing than Strife... Miles, do you know why we haven't explained Onslaught yet? Because we're still in late 89 chronologically? Well, okay, there's also that, but, um... Mostly, Onslaught is literally inexplicable. Oh, come on. He can't be that bad. (laughs) You're adorable, Miles. Jay? Okay, you know what? Fine, fine. We're going to do this. So, okay. Onslaught is what happens when a bunch of creative teams have very different ideas of what an event is about, and either they don't bother to synchronize watches, or they get stuck in narrative tug-of-war, and continuity breaks so hard they have to reset the universe to fix it. The end, that's Onslaught. But I thought Onslaught was a big purple dude made of feelings. Yes, Onslaught is also that. That is the character Onslaught. Um, And specifically, that version of Onslaught is at least initially a disembodied psychic entity. He's made from the sum of Charles Xavier and Magneto's combined frustration, rage, and despair. Well, that's not confusing. I mean, we've seen it happen before. Xavier compartmentalizes his negative emotions. They become an evil psychic entity and beat up the Micronauts or whatever. Yeah, this is the same basic principle, but it happened after Xavier shut down Magneto's mind. um, Wait, when, when was this? Fatal Attractions. It was right after Magneto ripped um, the adamantium out of Wolverine's skeleton. Oh, right, right. Good times. Right? Good times. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, Magneto's feelings apparently had to go somewhere, so they set up camp in Xavier's head, hooked up with Xavier's own anger, and boom, onslaught. Oh, he's their terrible feelings, baby. <laughs> yeah, basically. So what's his deal? Mindless rampage, targeted revenge? I mean, that really depends on the iteration. Wait, there's been more than one? <laughs> yeah. So there's the original Onslaught, there's Onslaught Reborn, uh, he came out of M-Day. There's Red Onslaught, who's the Red Skull with part of Xavier's brain grafted to his, and so on and so forth. But you know, the thing is, that's not even the bad part. It's not. Okay, dude, Onslaught is where continuity and consistency go to die. His secondary superpower is basically ignoring canon and established precedents, and dredging up some of the less savory relics of the Silver Age. I'm not even gonna ask. Excellent call. So anyway, um, let's see. Onslaught manifests. He beats the hell out of the Juggernaut, rips the gem of uh, Ciderac out of Juggernaut's chest. Wait a sec. I thought Juggernaut got his powers from the armbands of Ciderac. You thought correctly. Then why... (laughs) Onslaught. (laughs) So anyway, Juggernaut ends up imprisoned inside the gem. The one that doesn't exist. Now you're getting it! (sighs) Oh... And anyway, um, Onslaught goes off to kidnap Franklin Richards and Nate Gray and to amass an army of Sentinels. A bunch of heroes die fighting him. Franklin starts up the Heroes Reborn universe. Heroes Reborn came out of Onslaught. Technically, Heroes Reborn was kind of inside Onslaught. Okay, so what was he trying to do anyway? Two high-powered reality warpers, an army of Sentinels? That can't have been going anywhere good. Well, he was amassing and amplifying a massive, massive surge of psionic power. To destroy the Earth. To achieve world peace. Wait. By merging humanity into a single homogenous hive mind. What? I'm J. Rachel Edidon. And I'm Miles Stokes. And we are here to explain the X-Men. Because it's about time someone did.
Welcome to episode 126 of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, where we walk you through the ins, the outs, and the retcons of comics' greatest superhero soap opera today live from Rose City Comic Con in Portland, Oregon. Yes, now that's only live for the people who are actually here. If you're listening to this on your uh, iPhone or car radio or somehow or whatever. Then you are already dead. That's right. I'm so sorry. I hope you had a good run. We'll remember you. You're, we'll sing your songs in Valhalla. Uh, so, yeah, uh, here we are. And we also have today with us the amazing, uh, often X, often other things writer, Greg Pak. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, Greg Pak. Is it Pak? Yeah, oh, yeah, it's, it's Pak, but that's cool. Here's the first thing we're going to explain is that you actually pronounce his name Pak, and now I learned a thing. <laughs> and there we go. But yeah, so Greg, you've written uh, all sorts of X stuff, like Phoenix, uh, End Song and War Song, the Storm uh, ongoing series, Magneto Testament, yeah, uh, Extreme no, X-Men. It's so weird that you're, we, were, we were looking and like you don't get pulled out as an X guy, and you've written so much of it over the years. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm old. I'm old. It's sad. It's sad. But no, I, I, uh, the first big book that I did at Marvel was X-Men Phoenix End Song. Um, so I, I kind of owe my career to the X-Men in a lot of ways because I did the Warlock book, which was I had so much fun on. And, and this uh, was like Orange Warlock, not Techno-Organic Warlock. Right? Yes, this yes. was this was uh, Jim Starlin Space Cosmic Warlock. And um, uh, Charlie Adlard drew that, uh, actually, back in the day. He, he was drawing Warlock and Walking Dead at the same time. So for his sake, I'm glad that the Warlock book got canceled <laughs> because he is, he is going on to very great things. Um, but uh, but I didn't really know if I, I had a career, and then I got on the X Men End Song book, and that thing went through the roof, and and I suddenly had a career. So thank you, X people. Huzzah! And I, I guess we should do the same thing because now we're somehow doing that as sort of a vague job, which is bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> Not creating, mind you, just talking about other people's creations. It's a different thing. Um, I mean, we, we yelled at them once. We, it's true, it's true. Um, so Jubilee called us dweebs. Jubilee did call us dweebs. We were in continuity. Yeah. Uh, we were also going to have Cullen Bunn here. Unfortunately, he was uh, not able to make it, but the three of us are just each going to be 33% more awesome each, and it's going to even out. It's going to be just fine. You have to imagine sort of a, a spectral Cullen Bunn watching over all of us, all, exactly. or like judging us from a distance or something. Are we thinking like Return of the Jedi, like Blue Ghost watching and nodding, or... Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking more like holographic projection or like we just, just know. Okay. I'm thinking like something, so sort of a, the prisoner setup. Okay. Like he's, he's in the, the um, number two chair. Uh, that, that's surprisingly easy to With picture, actually. With all the monitors actually. and stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're here. So as far as how this is going to go, now normally in the show we will go through in most episodes a bit of continuity, like a handful of issues, sort of talk about the plot, what that meant as far as the Marvel Universe at large, social issues at the time, that sort of thing. Um, this is going to be, as our live shows tend to be, more sort of conversational, more about a general topic rather than tiny little minutiae, although we'll have some of that too, I'm sure. And we looked, we, we wanted to talk about something that, that connects to your work because, again, it's great at stuff that we both love. There's a lot of it. It seems very, you know, all over the place, but something it's, it's all got in common is that it's very character driven, it's very character focused. It's a lot of single character or character focused miniseries. And in you know, Extreme X Men, which is the, the ongoing team book that you wrote, you've got multiple alternate versions of characters, so a lot of those deep dives. Um, so I think that is where we are going to focus here. Um, awesome. So, um, so I guess to start things off, like you know, you've written, like Jay was saying, uh, Extreme X Men with alternate versions of characters. You've also written the only Storm ongoing that was out there. Mm -hmm. So, like when you, when you're picking up a book, whether it's about a team or a single character, 
when they have so much history behind them, like where do you start with how am I going to define this character as this character? How am I going to make this another chapter in this character's life and also a summation of where they've been? Yeah, I mean, that is one of the perennial challenges. And, uh, you know, it's one of the hard things and also one of the glories of writing these kinds of books, you know, uh, writing mainstream superhero comics, because you've got decades and decades of stories. Um, I mean, and sometimes like there's that one time Storm turned into a space whale. You have some plot points that are also a hawk. Also a yep. hawk. With a little mohawk. A hawk yes. with a hawk. She did yes. that. So, yeah, and, uh, and, and as you pointed out, sometimes the stories don't uh, agree with each other. You know what I mean? So, uh, so there's no such thing as a story that totally fits within continuity because continuity itself is contradictory at times. It's, it's like biblical exegesis. You know what I mean? It's, it's, your, your, it, it, it's a deep dive, as the kids say, as we say. We do. Um, and, cause I guess we're kids. <laughs> That's good. I don't feel so old anymore. I we're mean, not old Compared dying. to the X-Men. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so every time I take on a book, I mean, I, you're, you're faced with these kinds of choices, like um, what bits of that continuity are going to feed your story? You know, what, what bits are you going to draw from? What bits are you going to not necessarily mention? Uh, and um, uh, what I, I mean, I, I tend to enjoy that a lot um, just because the continuity uh, all those stories are kind of just like the backstory of any character I might be inventing. You know what I mean? If I'm going to invent a character, um, I have to make up that character's backstory in order to understand how that character got to this point. It's like what an actor does. An actor has to know enough to figure out what's, uh, know, know enough about his or her past in order to, to know how he or she feels in this moment, in this particular point in time. Actors know more about their characters than anybody else. They know secrets about these characters that are that are never in the stories explicitly because they just have to know this stuff in their bones in order to embody that character. Um, so that continuity gives me ridiculous amounts of uh, just information and moments in these characters' lives. And, uh, and those things can become really resonant. Uh, the, the big challenge is to use them in a way in an existing story so that it doesn't just become sort of like checking off points and sort of like saying, yes, and I mentioned this little point in this character's past, so now you trust me. Um, I, I mean, that's, that's boring storytelling, just to kind of like, that's bookkeeping. You know, I'm not, I'm not here to bookkeep. I'm here to tell new stories that are compelling. Um, so it's like a joke. You know, if I'm telling a joke, I have to set it up in order for the payoff to work. So I have to figure out a way to set up those bits of continuity that I'm going to use um, if they're going to pay off. Uh, and that that becomes uh, and that is a huge challenge. You know that's why when I was a kid and the X Men were the coolest thing around, I couldn't even figure out where to start because <laughs> there were you know six different X Men books and they were all in the middle of some giant storyline and they all had twelve characters. You know and so it was just very hard just to find that entry point. So um, I'm constantly struggling to find that clean entry point with every single issue even if I'm in the middle of a big storyline, um, find an entry point so somebody could just pick it up and read and get it, while at the same time uh, grapple with these huge histories of these characters and have them pay off in, in great ways. And have like, you know, so that I'm telling a 12-issue story arc where something pays off in the final issue that was set up in the first. It's kind of an impossible task, but that's comics and it's glorious and it's fun and, and that's why we do it. Um, but. Uh, so that's a very long-winded answer that kind of danced around all of that. Um, but, um, but yeah, so every time I take on a project, I'm figuring out with the editors what the take is on this character in this moment in time. And if you, you guys all know that over time, these characters go through many different phases. You know, everybody has a, a you know, that's why they are 
sustainable because they are able to sustain all kinds of different stories. Um, and so we pick a story, uh, we pick an angle, and then we find, you know, we find those bits of uh, story that support it, and those are the things that we emphasize, I think. Or that's, that's kind of the way I, I roll it. This has sort of become the question we always ask, but um, what sorts of those stories, at what points in the X-Men do you gravitate to as a reader? That's a good question. You know, I mean, I, uh, I tend to like, I don't know nearly as much about the X-Men as you guys do. I'll be totally honest about that. You know what I mean? I have no shame about that <laughs> because you guys know everything. Um, uh, and so I don't, personally, as a reader, when I'm picking up a new book, I'm not that interested in uh, the kind of, last page reveal of, oh, and here's a villain you haven't seen for 12 years, and here it's he Mr. is Mr. Sinister again. Yes, exactly. It's the um, Zanox, who are also part of Onslaught that I left out of the cold open. I was trying to find a way to work them in. Yeah. yeah. So those kinds of moments, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, they're fun if I know the character. If I don't really know that moment, they don't resonate as much with me. That's obvious, right? That's, that's with all of us. So um, sometimes those things hit that sweet spot. You know, like when you know, in the Joss Whedon thing, when Cyclops, I mean, when uh, Colossus comes back, yes, my heart was broken and my eyes bugged out and everything. I thought that was astounding, you know what I mean? Astonishing. That's, yes, it was. It was astonishing. Thank you. Um, and, uh, you know, because that's, that's, that's one of the eras that I knew and really appreciated. But, um, but, but I'm aware of the fact that not everybody, you know, everybody, the X-Men are also hard to write for because every fan has their definitive X-Men in their head. You know what I mean? And that's different. Oh, yeah. So no one, I mean, <laughs> no one will, like, like you're, whatever you're writing, it's not right, you know, in, in, to a certain extent for a certain number of fans. You know what I mean? That's just the nature of it because there's so many characters and you're not writing your, I'm not writing your favorite character and I apologize for that. Um, but that's, uh, you know, so, so I don't, I, I'm not necessarily striving to hit those, to hit those kinds of sweet spots. What I'm trying to do is just take the characters that I'm working with and go as deep emotionally as I can with them. You know what I mean? Like that's my job, is to take whatever characters that I've got and find out all that I, I can about them and find out why they're compelling and what their struggle is, you know, and hopefully take them to a place they haven't been. Yeah. I mean, that was like the Extreme X-Men book where Dazzler was the leader of the group, you know what I mean? And that was awesome because, you know, I mean, I, I have that Dazzler number one that I picked up. It was like nice. the first direct market book and I picked it up in the direct market when it first came out. And um, so, you know, I had that kind of nostalgia thing for, for Dazzler, but also she's a ton of fun and she's, she's her powers put her on Cyclops's level, you know what I mean? She's got actually kind of complementary powers to Cyclops. Why not make her the leader of the team and see what that does? You know, um, but so th so there and so as both a writer and a reader, that's what I'm compelled by is I, I, stories that take these individual characters and run deep and fast and long with them uh, to 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 dig up something new and unexpected. And that was one of the things I really liked about the Storm ongoing is that, you know, what it's, I mean, to me at least, what it was about was who is Storm at this point in time? Who is Storm, like, after Wolverine dies and after she's been married to the Black Panther and that hasn't worked out? And let's have her, let, let's show who that who this character is by reintroducing her to all these characters from, characters from her past. So you have Forge, you have Yukio, you know, you have these characters that have been very important to her and you have her interacting with them in ways that she hasn't because she's a different person. That's one of the things I enjoy about comics with insanely complex continuity and huge backstories is that stuff always factors in, you know? It's not just like, hey, Cyclops and Storm are hanging out. It's going to be the same interaction they've had 
that every time. It's no, these characters have been through all these new and exciting tragedies because and as now they're know, making out on a cover. Now they're making out on a cover. <laughs> hey, that, that was yours too. Yeah. It was, yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you lots know. of kissing. <laughs> That's the other thing that I look for is kissing. That's right. Is there kissing in this book? I mean, basically, what we want out of X-Men is murder and kissing. Like, as long as you have those two things, like... Right, but, but the kissing has to be at least somewhat, like, you know, star-crossed and, and soap operatic. Oh, yeah. Well, that's... Yeah, there's always that element, right? You know, it's like, uh, you, you just get there, and then it's snatched away! Ah! Oh, that's right. I mean, you can't have people be happy in it. But, jeez, who wants that? <laughs> Which, actually, so I, I kind of want to segue to Extreme X-Men, because we're, we're talking about... Oh, and oh, to no? clarify, this okay. is Extreme X-Men Volume 2, not the one that Chris Claremont wrote, but this is the one that was kind of like Exiles, that was a dimension-hopping team of alternate versions of X-Men, plus the Dazzler that we know, and the Sage we know, I guess. With one key distinction, and that is the mission of that dimension-hopping team of X-Men. So I find this series tremendously, tremendously validating, because we're talking about, you know, distilled things that define characters, and this is a team of reality-hopping X-Men who are out to kill, um, what, how many was it? Ten evil Charles Xavier's. Yes. Ten times they kill Xavier. Yes. Beca- because X, right? Right. right. It's, it's like it, Weapon it. Plus, you know? Always thinking. <laughs> there you go. So this is why Greg's the writer. <laughs> and... You've got, you, know, you have a, a few 616 or whatever it is now, characters. It's still, it's going to be 616 forever. I'm yeah, never stopping to not call it. We're just going to call it 616. Yeah. It's going to be like those streets that get renamed, but everyone calls them by the old name, so people who are new in town just can't navigate right. at all. <laughs> Which I guess is a problem the comics industry has in general, isn't it? People who I are mean, new can't navigate. kind of fundamentally mm-hmm. with continuity, but yeah, you've got all of these alternate, ver- the radically, radically reimagined alternate versions of the characters, and radically, radically reimagined dynamics between the characters, worlds where, you know, the evil Xavier, you know, what what makes them evil varies, what impact they're having varies, what, you know, their interactions with their world and relationships to that and to the the X-Men and the concept of the X-Men varies. Um, And I can't remember where I was going with this question. (laughs) It was somewhere cool. Um, (laughs) I know you didn't sleep much, but you got a lot of zines made and they're amazing. Oh my God, I did. I did. You should all come see them. We're at table 815 with Al Ewing and there's, there's, there, I made a zine um, at about three o'clock this morning. I finished it. Um, So it's very new. It's uh, Jay's book of irrelevant Mm -hmm. (laughs) headcanon. But yeah, so as far as Extreme X-Men, one of the things that interests me about that, talking about like kind of what makes a character a character, is you have these characters who are drastically different. So you have like, what is it, Governor General James Howlett? The best James Howlett? He's got big mutton chops. It's amazing. He's dating Hercules. It's so good. Well, no, no. Again, they have a a, a tragic star-crossed love affair that ends with, with... Governor General James Howlett heading into hell to one-up Orpheus. Exactly. Yes, that's true. It's yes. going to save his love from hell. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I enjoy seeing that. I mean, we, and I think we talked at one of our uh, most recent live panels about alternate universes, but to delve into that again, like, you know, you have this character who's different in every way. Instead of having adamantium, he has adamantium, the metal of the gods, and his personality is very different. in every way. He still has a metal-lined skeleton. It's in- a different metal. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. I, it's really? important to distinguish, you know. But I guess... Point being, like, so when, you, when you're doing this alternate version of a character, when you're like, hey, I want to have Wolverine, but I want to show how different he is from the Logan that we all know and love and we're getting kind of sick of by the time he died, if you're me and Jay. Um, like, how do, you, how do you keep the core of that character while telling a, a story that hasn't been told, while telling a reality that hasn't been told? Well, there's, um, I mean, comics themselves just have that all the time. Like, the, 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 the first version of Superman is very distinct from the Superman, the Uncle Superman, of the 70s, you know what I mean? Yeah, and Superman should always, always be a socialist agitator. I feel fairly strongly about that. I, I am definitely like with, I, I am about, I am all about OG Superman. You know, so in the history of these, I mean, there is no definitive 
version of any of these characters. It, you know, like they, they have gone through uh, so many different versions. So when I'm doing an alternate universe version of a character, it's, I, I mean, honestly, I, it, it's just, it's that character. It's just another take on that character. You know what I mean? And, and so, um, I mean, there's something where, like with Howlett, at his core, he is—he's got that same kind of heart of gold that Wolverine always has. I mean, Wolverine is the classic tough guy who befriends the orphan, befriends the 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 kid, you know, the little girl, the the elf. You know what I mean? Like those are his best friends, right? Um, and uh, and that's that's why we love the guy because he's the hard ass who who uh, who we feel like would protect us if we ever needed protection. Um, and Howlett has that same kind of you know heart of gold. Uh, so that kind of vibe is still with him, but his circumstances are different. I mean, it's, it's a what if story, right? It's like you take that character, you say, what if, what if Wolverine had, you know, was, had become governor general of a mythology infused Canada in the 19th century and fallen in love with Hercules. Did we mention you should read this book? You should read this book. Yeah, yeah, no, um, Extreme X-Men is fantastic. It is, honestly, I feel like in a lot of ways, it's one of the, most direct and best tonal airs to um, the Claremont and Davis Excalibur years. You know, yeah, yeah, I think so. Like it's it's a little less like slapstick and stuff, but it's still that yeah, same. Yeah, but it's kind got of... that same buoyancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had so much fun on that book; it was ridiculous. I mean, I, I would come up with these ideas, and I'd be like, "Well, you know," I was like, "I think Howlett and Hercules are both gay, and they're going to be lovers." And the others were like, "Cool, do it." You're like, "Wait, really?" <laughs> And I, I like, mean, how is that surprising? Awesome, and and I was like, I, and I I, I want to do a story with uh with with an alternate world with Namor, but okay, well, alternate world where, where Xavier was like a, a Nazi, and uh and Namor instead of being half uh white and half American, he's half Japanese. You know, like it was a it was an imperial Japanese, uh, or it was a you know a Japanese sailor who found Atlantis instead of a. Uh, a, a European, and, um, and they're like, "Cool, do it!" So we had like a, you know, this kind of awesome Toshiro Mufune Namor, who who Toshiro Mufune should be Namor. Toshiro Mufune should also be Wolverine. He basically should be everybody. Um, but uh, you know, we got to do all this crazy stuff. We had a we had a um, we had a Buffalo Soldier Cyclops, uh, and who who that actually who uh, became Dazzler's love interest during the course of that story, um, because of course. Uh, <laughs> And, X-Men. Yes. Uh, and we had a kid Nightcrawler whose hero was Spider-Man in his world. Um, uh, but that kid, actually that kid Nightcrawler was one of my favorite of all. I mean, just because, I mean, Kurt, I mean, Nightcrawler should have been a kid from the beginning, right? I mean, like, that's the spirit, right? He's this, you know, kind of great, you know, uh, bundle of joy, sort of. And He actually uh, reminded me a lot of the X-Men Evolution version of Nightcrawler oh, like, you know, in really pe- good ways. People yeah. said that afterwards, and I had never seen the show, so I was like, oh, really? Uh, um I mean, one one advantage of not seeing everything is that you can justifiably say, "I well, I didn't rip it off," <laughs> so, but um, but no, that that, that was cool. So uh, I, he had a Spider-Man lunchbox. That was my favorite little detail. So we are going to uh, have a, a moment of, of profound tonal whiplash here, I think, and um, talk a little bit about Magneto Testament, oh, yeah. which is about as tonally opposite from um, Extreme X-Men as you can get. Like, I'm trying to think of how it could be more so. And Yeah, so you know. Magneto Testament is a book about Magneto um, basically growing up uh, during around like the rise of Hitler and the Holocaust until the liberation of the camps. And um, as I was reading uh, the stuff of yours that I hadn't read, Greg, 
I was reading this on, thank you, uh, on the bus, and I don't recommend reading this story on the bus and trying to hold your shit together while, like, you're reading about Ooh, horrible... Oh, for swearing it wasn't me. <laughs> Point miles. <laughs> um, but it's really good, and you should, you should read it. I'm sorry, I interrupted. You were saying. I just, yeah. No, was... that was it. Oh, okay. Um, well, I mean, actually, one of the things I was hoping we could talk about about Magneto Testament is that it's not really a superhero, supervillain book at all. Like, we yeah. know it's about the person who would become Magneto, but there's no super stuff in it, even remotely. Yeah. Editor Warren Simons pulled me on that book, and I'm just eternally grateful to Warren for that. He, um, this was kind of his dream, dream project, uh, to do an origin story of Magneto that would be set during the rise of the Nazis and the Holocaust, um, and to take that material really seriously and do it as a straight historical piece. I mean, uh, and so um, he came to me and asked me if I'd be interested, and, and it, uh, I mean, it, it kind of just fit a lot of, it, it made sense. Like, I immediately got what he was going for. I think the first, he said Magneto year one, and I knew exactly what he was talking about, you know? Um, and, um, I'd studied German in high school, and I'd done a lot of, uh, in, in college too, just randomly. I just picked German. I don't know why. Um, I, <laughs> I could have studied Spanish or French, and in Dallas, I just picked German, just because. <laughs> uh, but, um, uh, and I'd, I'd read a lot about the, you know, German history and the Holocaust, and, um, and, and so when he suggested it, it was like, that's really scary. Uh, also kind of amazing, you know, like I'm going to be, I, I always do a ton of research whenever I'm taking on a book and oftentimes it's like, you know, reading 200 issues of X-Men, but here I could. That sounds read, familiar. Yeah, which is, which is awesome. But this was a book where I was going to end up reading a bookshelf of books about that era. And I was actually going to learn about actual history, which was sort of astounding. Um, but, um. In the original outline for that, you know, when I when I sat down and worked out the outline, we had more moments where like this kind of, you know, his superpowers were sort of glimmering on the verge of coming through. And the more we worked on it, the more we realized that was just totally inappropriate. You know, it was, uh, um, you know, even to, I mean, there's in the final book, there are just a few little hints, but he's never aware of it. He's never using powers to save people because, you know, to do a story like that, have a superhero come in and save people is sort of like a, a big, I, to us it felt like it would be a slap in the face to everybody who died and survived. You know what I mean? Like the, the material is too, it's too much for that. Um, in a similar way, like when I was, I've done other books that are set in kind of war-torn countries and I've avoided using actual current war-torn countries because it's, it's, it, it just felt it feels wrong to imply that a superhero is going to go in and save people who are involved in an actual, um, you know, horrible, tragic situation in this, in, you know, in, 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 in real time. Um, but, uh, so, so it becomes a story of a German Jewish kid who, uh, who's, uh, desperately trying to save his family as the Nazis rise to power and, and begin the final solution. Uh, and it, it traces the family from Germany, uh, into Poland, uh, and and, and uh, so you see these different moments, um, key moments in that history, including Kristallnacht and the experiences of uh, the Sonderkommando in Auschwitz and everything else. I mean, it was it was intense. It was uh, uh, really disturbing to research all of that, and and yet um, it meant a lot to all of us. But uh, but yeah, so that was and and the other. I mean, just sort of X-Men Magneto related, um, 
my attitude in writing that was that this kid is just a hero. You know what I mean? This is a kid who is desperately trying to save his family. That's who he is. I don't care where he got to. You know what I mean? Like in this story, it's the story of a heroic kid in incredibly horrible circumstances. Um, so that was our that was our take on it. Um, a few years later, we did a book about the Red Skull, uh, and it was a similar kind of book that was looking at his origin as an orphan becoming a Nazi uh, wow. during the Weimar Republic. Um, and it was, it's really a bookend, you know. Um, and honestly, that was a much harder book to do because that's the story of, uh, it's not the story of a hero, that's the story of Hitler, basically. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's not Hitler, but it's, it's a story of, uh, of, of somebody who's becomes insanely abhorrent. Um, and that was just much harder to kind of wrap my head around, frankly. And one of the things I like about the way the Magneto book works is that it works on two levels. Um, because you have it working as like, yes, this is a, a historical piece, a really important historical piece, but it's also something where you can look at Max Eisenhart in the book and be like, okay, based on what this kid's been through, based on where he starts and where he goes, I can completely understand why he made some of the decisions that he made later. And I love that about it. So I'm going to say at this point, we are running low on time. And if we're going to open the floor to questions, we should probably do that pretty much now. Yes. Ask us questions. So there is a microphone. It is right there. Um, if you have a question and you were in a position to, uh, if, please line up at the mic. If you have a question and have mobility issues, can't get to the mic, whatever, raise your hand and we will make sure the mic gets to you. Again, we're recording, so if you can talk into the mic and speak up, um, that would be great. Also, that way everyone can hear, which is, is nice. So, hey. yeah, go ahead. Hi. Uh, you mentioned trying to uh, avoid real-world situations and conflict because the material is too big for that. But a lot of early superhero comics, like of of the concurrent era, did exactly that. Like, what do you think separates doing it now from the way that they did it back then? Well, there's a, I mean, there's kind of a difference between having Captain America punch Hitler in the nose at that time. I mean, that was an insanely brave thing to do. That was before the before the U.S. was involved in directly involved in the war. Before the U.S. had entered that the war, um, it, it it's, uh, but that wasn't Captain America going into a concentration camp. And liberating people, you know what I mean? Like that's it's it's. Uh, I mean, and I'm not saying that those stories can't be told. There's not a good way to tell them. I'm just saying that I couldn't figure out how to do that, and it didn't feel right for me personally. You know what I mean? Like, um, you can tell us. I mean, you can do a story. You can have anything happen in a story if you can do it. You know what I mean? I. But there's you know different people have different limits at different times in their storytelling lives, and and that was a place I couldn't go at that point, you know, didn't want to didn't want to do that. Joshua Dysart is a guy who goes there very conscientiously, um, pretty frequently, might be worth looking at, at some of his, his works around that. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah, Josh is amazing, uh, and he's, he definitely grapples with those kind of real, real world here and now moments um, uh, better than most anybody, I think. All right, go for it. So I'm going to move away from atrocity. <laughs> That's cool. And we appreciate we'll allow that. It. <laughs> All right, so I've realized that my favorite two X-Men besides Nightcrawler are um, Toad and Maggot. Nice. And Those are good choices. choices. And I just realized that they would make the best ironic buddy cops. I would, you know, I, I would You got watch. the toad, he eats the maggots, like there's the whole thing. <laughs> so my question to you is, was your buddy cop duel from the X-Men lineup. Oh, and if you could do forgotten X-Men's if you want. Okay. Ooh, I have one. While you have, say that, I, I will I have one because this is actually the answer to a different question that someone asked on the podcast once. <laughs> I want to see a Rachel Summers Quentin Choir team up. Yeah. I want them as like the, the unlikely 
grumpy older cop mentor figure and the young upstart kid. I want them to have to plan leverage style heists together and I want those heists to go terribly, terribly wrong. Um, I feel like I feel like they would they would bring out aspects of each other as characters that we don't get to see a lot of, and um, it's already a pretty fun dynamic. Oh man, uh, what's coming to me right now, and this may just be because we just did our X Men Evolution RPG episode that's going to go live tomorrow, and I played Boom Boom, but I want to see Boom Boom and Sunfire because Sunfire's. <laughs> He just quit. That's my point. He's going to constantly be trying to quit the team, to quit the duo, to quit the force, whatever. And then you have to have Boom Boom as the responsible one, trying to like maintain some kind of order. Why it do would you be hate, amazing. Why do you, why, do you, why do you hate the world, Lance? What, what, have you, what have we done to you? Some men just want to see the world boom. Three, two, one. I'm so sorry. One. That's hilarious. <laughs> I, I got to write a, a one issue of Storm, uh, which had a Storm Gambit team up. Um, Ooh, which was a ton yeah. of fun. Uh, but I could see that being something you could play a lot with. I mean, they're both thieves, but they've got a totally different take on things as they've grown up. Uh, so, I mean, I think there'd, there'd be room for something fun there. There was a, um, a team-up between them. I mean, obviously, there was the origin of Gambit when he first showed up. Uh, but there was a team-up with them during the Curse of the Mutant storyline. I think it was a, a, like a one-shot about them trying to steal the head of Dracula from Vampire Island or yes. the body of Dracula. <laughs> And it was one of the weirdest, coolest comics I have ever oh, read. Curse of the Mutants is amazing. It's uh, There's a lot so going much. on there. Yes. So much. If you haven't read it, you should. Um, the main event is... It's quite something. And there, there, there's, um, there's, a, there's a panel where, where Cyclops mugs directly at the reader and tells Dracula, I just want you to follow your heart. And like, that's really what you need to know going in. Um, but it has the most amazing side stories. Yeah, there's like, a good they're Dr. Just, they're Nemesis amazingly one good. They're, they're fantastic. All right. <laughs> Go for it. Next question. All right. So imagine you're running one of the various Xavier Institute, Massachusetts Academy, yada, yada, yada. Who do you invite to give the commencement address? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> See, I would, I would say Deathlock, and he could tell them about the horrible dark future, but like that was already done in Wolverine and the X-Men when he was the worst teacher ever. It was so great. Well, clearly, you get the successful future version of one of the graduating students. <laughs> Hey, okay, Storm's daughter, Chimera, kind of turned out okay. You could kind of... Oh, wait, Shogo. Shogo, Jubilee's kid Shogo ended up uh, as a perfectly healthy, happy superhero as near as we can tell. he's not much of a public speaker. I feel like if you got Wolverine, it would at least be short. <laughs> um, hmm. Man, who would be a good public speaker? Uh, Governor General. Not Havoc. <laughs> not Havoc. Don't let him in front of a microphone. It doesn't no, go well. No, he tries. I, I'd, I'd, I'd uh, definitely go with Governor General James Howlett, actually. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's used to public speaking, public figure. He's I assume he has his own, like, inspiring, swelling, rocketeer-style theme music, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And those okay. mutton chops, I mean, they speak for themselves, really. Right, right. <laughs> so you really get, you get three speakers for the price of one that way. That's right. <laughs> well, or, you know, nine, because, you know, the claws. They just each say snick, though. That's all they say. So the people who are listening to this later, they, don't, they can't see Jay's facial expression right now, but it's... They can imagine it. <laughs> All right, next question, please. So you mentioned uh, in, in Extreme, Extreme X-Men that uh, Wolverine and Hercules are, you know, Wolverine's in love with Hercules. Uh, presumably that means Wolverine is, is not straight. Do you think that that means that Hercules, Hercules, that Wolverine is not straight in 616 as well, that he is a queer character, or... Does that is that just a divergent point from that universe? Well, it was uh, it's an alternate universe, so it's a different character. You know, I mean, it's the 
Um, you know, in that in that story, he's that's definitely a gay Wolverine or a gay Howlett. Um, I don't think it it it, it is the no, it's an alternate universe, so it doesn't mean that the current universe Wolverine is gay. Who knows? Maybe in 20 years they'll decide he is, um, and that that would be cool. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean that's the glory of the alternate universe stuff is that you can do all kinds of stuff, and sometimes the alternate universe stuff ends up becoming the mainstream universe stuff. I mean, look at the Sam Jackson as uh, uh, as uh, Nick Fury. You know what I mean? Like um, uh, the one of the glories of comics is that. There are many, or this kind of comics, is that there are many different choices that uh, both creators and readers can make about which which versions of characters they want to follow, which versions of characters they want to fall in love with. And uh, when characters become very popular, regardless of where they appear, those characters get more books made about them. So, uh, you know, the, there's kind of a built-in way for comics to move with the times in a fun way. Okay, so we just got our 10-minute warning a little while ago. We have time for either, I would say, two long questions or three short ones. So. All right, um, I've got a short question. Um, on one of your recent episodes, you mentioned um, Boom Boom Von Doom as a really awesome uh, roller derby name. So I was wondering if you had thought of any other possible X-related roller derby names. Oh, man. Uh, I, we haven't specifically. Can we come up with one with a couple on the spot right now is the question. Oh, man. See, normally, like, well, we sit there umming and erring, and then uh, Kyle just edits uh, that part out, and so it sounds like we're really smart and glib and fast. I mean, I have, I have some kind of vaguely, vaguely inappropriate ones that I'm pretty happy about. I mean, I, I say you should say <laughs> so those. So this, this has backstory, which is that um, before I came out, and ages ago, um, L. Collins, who is amazing, who hosts uh, the Hard Times podcast and also Into It, and I were talking about, um, and, and Elle put together a playlist for the Radical Queer Mutant Dance Party. And we were going to co-host it, and my, my uh, costume concept except for that was Diclops. Uh. <laughs> wow. So there's that. I will qualify that the, that is, I would say that that is a name that would not be appropriate to use unless you are specifically a queer-identified roller derby person. Because, yeah, there, there's, yeah, that. The, the question of who gets to reclaim the first half of that is another one. But yeah, you can, you can, and so, so there's always that. That's, that's what I've got. Uh, I would probably go for Fight Crawler, personally. Ooh, nice. These are all male characters. We should, we should have more that are, are female character based. We should, but it's really hard to come up with stuff on the spot that's not Boom Boom Von Doom, which is utter perfection oh, man, in and of I itself. Know, right? yeah. I mean, Storm and Dazzler are already halfway there. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> there's got to be something you can do with Lila Cheney. I think. Uh, I don't so know, man. We'll think about this, and if we come up with more, we're gonna put them on the show. We'll see Actually, what we can I'm do. gonna say let's let's just put out a call for them. Um, if you are a listener, when you're listening to this, this episode will go up. There will be comment. You know, there, there's a comment section. Those of you watching it live have a week to think about it. Yes. Preview. <laughs> yes. Share share your your best uh, X Men roller derby names. Let's gradually let's <laughs> let's continue our world conquest via roller derby. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Let's see if we can get the last couple of questions both in. Okay. Okay, so this is actually my first attendance and or listening to you guys explain the X-Men, so... Oh, this nice, is welcome. A first-timer. Hope you survived the experience. I'm, I'm having That's a, a cliche. I'm having a grand old a time. Cliche. So you mentioned earlier that, like, uh, different time pieces and settings in the comics, you know, you want to approach that with, like, a respectable air. The mo- I, I don't know your guys' opinions on the current trilogy of the movies recently, but they've all been, like, rooted in certain time periods. You know, you had the 60s with the 
Jupiter Missile Crisis, you had the 70s with the Paris Peace Talks, and then there's Apocalypse, which is just the 80s. So, just the nebulous 80s. So is, the, is it more interesting like reading a comic arc that is written during the timepiece and you can see like actual events of like, whoa, radical culture, like, <laughs> versus a movie that's like recreating that in its own vision? Like what's more interesting for you guys? Ooh, to I love, in? love reading contemporary stuff. Um, okay. One of the things we've, we've talked about in, in earlier episodes especially is how very, very rooted in the era that he's writing uh, Chris Claremont's especially early work is, and watching the stuff he satirizes, the mm -hmm. stuff that he chooses to highlight, the places, you know, the, the things the characters hear about on the news, the events they do and don't okay. intersect with, the characters who do and don't get pilloried, and the cultural references that get made, you know, who cameos, who's a pop culture figure. Um, yeah, I, I love that stuff, and I love getting into the era where I was just starting to become aware of world events now, and sort of look at that in, in context of that knowledge. Yeah, one of my favorite examples of that is the Havoc and Wolverine Meltdown miniseries, which is oh my very God, yes. Cold War related, and, and also so gorgeous. good. So yeah, I would say the more you can work that stuff in, the better. I love those specifics personally. We're going to do that for Halloween sometime. Yes, we are. <laughs> we really Havoc and Wolverine, it'll be yeah. good. Just get my hair straight up. <laughs> All right. As, as a, I'll just throw in that as a writer, uh, sometimes working in different eras is, uh, is actually a lot of fun because you don't have cell phones and so things you know what I mean like yes. watch any movie I mean even movies made now there people all the time are doing things that they don't have to do because they could just pick up a cell phone you know what I mean like there are elaborate movies that are set up in order to have somebody's cell phone battery die at the right point so that you can have interesting things happen if your movie is set in the 60s you, 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 you there's no cell phone I mean Stranger Things benefits from that you they know could just mean? come to the Oregon Convention Center during a show yeah there's no reception <laughs> <laughs> All right, last question. All right, um, so you're about to enter the dark age of darkness in many pouches. Um, <laughs> not what do you dislike, but what do you dread having to cover the most? I mean, onslaught. <laughs> <laughs> like, let me, Fair let, let me tell you a story. So two nights ago, Al Ewing and Douglas Wolk were in my living room, and we were making buttons, and we were trying to talk through that cold open. And so... Douglas Wolk is currently reading all of Marvel. He is one of the most involved and in-depth living writers on comics. I think he's actually here somewhere or possibly in Yeah, he's I over there. He's amazing. Um, <laughs> Al Ewing is, is, is writing current Marvel continuity. The three of us actually have a panel specifically on this, on retcons and continuity and deep dives at 3, at three o'clock today, and you should all come to it. But so, like, we, rep we are, like, kind of an unstoppable triumvirate of continuity, and none of us could actually coherently wrap our heads around onslaught details <laughs> so um yeah i am i am deeply dreading onslaught uh yeah for, for me it's just similarly the editorial uh cohesion during that era i think that's gonna be the hardest part because we're all about continuity yeah. and the continuity falls apart in various yeah, areas it, in the it 90s just explodes. i am i am also i am somewhere between dreading and looking forward to having having a really interesting and involved um episode on the podcast where we talk about the relationship between arts and artists mm. and ethics when we enter an, you know, an upcoming very long run. That said, I haven't read a lot of the 90s and I'm really excited to read a lot of it and get super excited because when I was a kid I was all elitist and cynical and now I just like liking things and it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I keep on reading ahead and finding just absolute gems. I've, I've been reading back through the, um, the second generation of X Factor and I, oh, I love them so, so much. Uh, so I think we're out of time. So we uh, just want to say, Greg, thank you so much for being here. Thanks a ton for having me. It's been yeah. a total blast. Um. Okay. Cool. 
So we also um, have a number of other folks to thank really quickly. Um, there are a number of people here who are going to be helping with setup for our party, uh, which is tonight. You should there come are, to uh, it. Yeah, we're, we're uh, oh, and we'll, we'll give you details on that in a second. Um, Douglas Wolk and Pat Myers in particular, but a number of folks helped make this cold open happen, helped me put together the staggering volume of, of, of contradictory details that it eventually got, got winnowed down to that. Al Ewing, who was up, you know, very, very late collating and stapling zines with us. Um, and we also uh, definitely want to give a shout out to our producer, Kyle Yount, who's here in yes. the audience. He makes us actually sound sane. He is amazing. He is also host of the Kaiju cast, which I believe is doing a live episode in this very room in um, an hour from now. Yes, you should, you should check that out. Um, and also, thank you all for showing up and for listening to our show in general. Like, actually getting to see you guys is amazing. You're so cool. You are, you are like a strikingly gorgeous room full of people, too. Like, it's true. It's true. Um, we are at booth 815. You can identify it by the large Days of Future Past wall. So come by. We have zines. We have T-shirts. We have tote bags. We will do bad drawings of your favorite X-Men. Yep. Um, uh, we also or, will have details about or the party sharpie tonight. knuckle tattoos. Yeah. So the party tonight is from seven to eleven. It's at the Steep and Thorny Way to Heaven, which is an alternate arts um, art and performance space in Portland. It's the same place it was last year. Now there is a light rail r line that runs apparently almost directly from here to there. I don't know which one it is. <laughs> But it exists. You, you, you can totally find Allegedly, out and find us. Um, it is an all-ages party. There will be a cash bar with both adult and kid-friendly beverages. We Named after be, New Mutants and X-Men, right, irrespectively. Yeah. Um, we'll be doing... We'll have, we'll have the word balloons back. We'll have the wall of future past. We will have the bowl of sunglasses. Mm -hmm. That's take happening. A um, don't take a bite. Don't take a bite. <laughs> we will have... We will have um, we, and we have, we have a really big, really cool thing to share that has been a secret for a very long time so far. <laughs> One's mileage may vary, but we like it. Well, it, uh, yeah, the, the part of it that's been a secret varies. Um, so that is, that is tonight, and you can get maps and details again at booth 815. Greg, where are you? Oh, I'm at uh, AA01. That's really that's, easy to remember. Very, very fancy, <laughs> fancy, fancy uh, table. Yes. Um, but yeah, come, come see me. I've got a, I've got a handful of X-Men books. I've also got some kids' books. If you're looking to pick up some books for kids, I've got a, a shameless plug. Princess Who Saved Herself and ABC Disgusting. So they're, they're, let, let those names just uh, you know, percolate in your mind, wonder what they are, and then come see them. So I guess we should do our uh, outro thing and let, let these fine people get on with their lives. Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men is recorded in Portland, Oregon and produced by Kyle Yant, host of the Godzilla podcast, KaijuCast. Today, we are coming to you live from Rose City Comic Con 2016 in the uh, convention center. Oh, and I forgot to uh, thank Mikey Nielsen, who is the reason that we are here and who, who does all of the programming for the show and is amazing. Yes. And is also an amazing podcaster. He is. Because it's Portland and every household has to have two ukuleles and a podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, new episodes of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men come out Sundays on iTunes, Stitcher, at explainthexmen.com and occasionally in very crowded rooms full of awesome people. Check out explainthexmen.com for all kinds of extra content, video companions to every episode along with interviews, fan art, X-Men evolution recaps, reviews, and much, much, much more. And our show is totally listener supported and if you'd like to help us stay on the air and ad free and occasionally at some truly awesome conventions, check out the Patreon link at the top of explainthexmen.com. Next week we will be be back in the studio or crossing the Rainbow Bridge with our favorite superpowered teenagers. As the new mutants leave Midgard, asterisk, Earth, for a pre-cable year in Asgard. Thanks for coming, guys. You're all amazing. Yeah.